episode Z4 of the Stable Hands podcast. This week, the man that needs no introduction, Dan Shan. Really, really excited to be able to share this conversation. And there's lots and lots of information about breeding well in 3.0, racing well in 2.0, and of course, sprinkled with that Dan Shan character and metaphors about casinos. So without any further ado, let's go. Well, welcome back to the Stable Hands podcast. Thank you very much for joining. Um, We're really glad that you're here today. Um, Today's guest needs absolutely no introduction. Um, Welcome, Dan Shan, the man with the plan. How are you, brother? Hey, what's going on, man? How you been? Absolutely fantastic. Um, Super pumped and pretty excited because I just got three qualifiers in this morning's tourney. So waiting for you, as we speak. Man, this, these, these tourneys have been uh, far and few between, right? Yeah, they have. Um, they have indeed. How did you go this morning? Did you get a few running? Um, yeah, I did a few. I got kind of busy doing some other work, so I didn't really do a bunch. But yeah, I got some. I got a few in. I got some good ones in, actually, so I'm excited. I Two out of my three are in their preferred distance, so... He's, he's hoping they'll actually run while we do this recording. So if you hear me screaming at the, the monitor, um, hopefully it's for good reasons. It makes sense. <laughs> um, I probably want to start, Dan, just to tell you a bit of a story about when I got back into Zed. And this is how I actually discovered um, you and, and your suite of tools. Because back in the day, I started looking into Zed and I started running some races um, just in the standard Zed format. And I had this brilliant idea. I was like, why don't I use the API and I'll build myself a service and I'll just run it in another browser tab and I'll be able to copy horse names in there and get their results and I'll be able to see strength of my horses against the field and that'll give me an edge. And in my research, that's when I came across Stacknax, <laughs> the, um, the browser plugin. So I just want to say thanks for that. Um, saved me a lot of work. And um, a, a fantastic addition to Zed. So if anyone's not using Stacknax today um, or SN Pro these days, uh, the 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 advantage that oh, the advantage I think that gives me um, is is not to be denied. Um, how did you come about sort of getting onto creating, I guess that plugin, and how did that tie in with your your journey into Zed? How did how did you start well, your stable? I originally, I originally got into Zed and started when I started. I was just a player, and I was just playing, and there was no tools. There was, like, nothing. Like, you couldn't even get your race history. It was far and few between. There was a couple of different, you know, just startup websites at the time that were starting to have race data that you could download, and then you had to put it into a spreadsheet, and then you had to add your own formulas. So I kind of started down the original process of just kind of, like, building tools for myself. Right, kind of like what you were talking about. Yep. And then I, and then it kind of evolved into you know sharing them with other friends in Discord, and and then it just kind of blew up from there. But I didn't start Stacknax. I bought Stacknax, the site, the tools, everything that was there. I bought it. I bought it from the original owner. Very nice. His name is Alan, and I think he's an Aussie guy actually. And uh, he decided that it was he was running it free. And it was free for everyone. And he was just running into massive bills to keep it running. 
And he really felt guilty about, you know, telling the community, hey, pay me or I'm going to have to turn it off. And and it, he started trying to get donations and it just never really panned out to where he could keep it alive. So I bought it from him. Oh, wow. I did not, I did not know that. Yeah. And when I bought it from him, it was completely different, like an entirely different. Pro- it's so different. I have changed it like 100%. Yeah, definitely. Zed Lee. Um, completely different. Um, oh, yeah, whole, whole. I mean, I, I kept a lot of his philosophies. I, I kept a lot of his philosophies and the ideas of how he thought, and I tried to maintain the stack max idea and kind of the, the different things that he was tracking because a lot of users were used to it and liked it, but I added a ton of Dan Chan flair in there. Yeah, as I say, a, a fabulous set of tools. Um, I have I have Z lead open uh, every day, um, probably too much <laughs> to reflect how much time I spend uh, on the Z website. But how long ago was this, Dan? Like, when did you get into Z? Um, I think I got into Z last March. So, like, what twenty one March or something? Is okay. that right? Maybe maybe yep. somewhere around there. Something. Try to think. But it was it was it was before they were they had only done a couple drops. And they were just starting to get hot into doing a lot of drops, whenever that time was. It was before my time, for sure. I think all the all the drops had finished when I turned up. Um, and so over that time, obviously, you know, your, your stable has evolved. And to, to focus, I guess, on your experience as a player, like how many horses are in your stable today? And how many of those do you actually run? I have like 20 horses in my racing stable and i would say probably 15 of them are worth running um four or five of them are in the hey i'm getting close to getting sent to the sleeping barn and so probably about 14 or 15 but the thing is is that when i started i take pride into like breeding my own stuff and having you know the fire i use fire in all my names and i try i take pride into like breeding my own stuff or you know, choosing my own unraced horses based on the data that I'm looking at. And I really tried to like focus on, you know, like it would be easy for me to go out and buy horses that are already good. You know, like it just pulled the stats and say, Hey, you want to sell this horse? I'll give you three ETH. I, I really didn't want to go that route. I wanted to go the route of like breeding my own, you know, my own barn. And I really focused originally, I kind of focused on just having horses with a lot of distance preference, um, you know, just trying to make sure they were getting the podiums. And then I kind of evolved later into just wanting, you know, I want to win. I want massive variants. I want, I want to focus on winning, just win, win, forget podiums and live with the ups and downs of variants. Yeah. The, the swings of a variance horse. I, I love my variance horses more than anything else in my stable. Um, nothing feels as good as seeing them win by three or four lengths. Um, but nothing feels as bad as watching them lose by, I've had one lose by five seconds over 2000 meters before. Yeah. It's, it's torturous, right? You're in a, you go into a, a semifinal and your horse looks great. You know, you got a great shot. The odds look good and runs, it runs six seconds behind the field. Yeah. The last two tournaments in December last year, um, I had two of my variance horses qualified in each, both of them won their semifinal. And I was like, you beauties, I've, I've yet to win a tournament. So I'm like, 
you beauty we're in and then they both got horrible variance roles came came 12th <laughs> oh yeah it's a killer it, it's it's heartbreaking but without variance you never have a chance right like you really this don't have true. a chance if there's three or four variance horses in the race you literally have no shot of winning but you know honestly lately i have been breeding and building more tools and focusing more on double up horses i and i'll tell you the reason why is because i really feel like Variance horses kind of really go more towards, I don't want to call, well, I will, the elite, right? The elite can afford them. The elite can afford to pay the high prices for the studs. Um, so I really thought it was a good niche to try to get in with some double ups and focus a little more on double ups. And I built the double up rating tool. Um, I've been focusing more on double up breeds, having a lot of success with it. It is super boring, but you, you can do it a lot cheaper. Uh, it, it's way more affordable. Uh, a lot of people that think that they can't be profitable and said could easily be profitable if they were smart with their breeding and did double up horses. Yeah, it's interesting. I was speaking with um, Scuba Steve on a previous episode and this kind of came up from a, a strategy across the entire stable to have some of those, whether they're double ups or, but just horses that you can reliably generate a bit of profit with to focus you, you know, to focus you and, and fund you chasing your dreams. I think we all want to be um, in the top winning the big prizes, but um, I think we need to figure out a way to fund that. Um, Cause as you said, that, that takes money. I, I think the thing is, is that uh, one of the things too, is you can, you can actually use double up horses with their stability and it truly is stability you can use that stability as income to give you breeding money, to give your variance horses the ability to have downfalls. Um, call it insurance. Call it your, you know, it, it's a steady paycheck compared to the ups and downs of the variance life. Yep, definitely. When you talk about your variance horses, and you've obviously seen a lot of them run over the time, I've noticed a few of mine, they go on hot streaks, but then, you know, they go on cold streaks as well. Have you got any sort of feeling about the regularity of that? Have you anything that, and we're all talking about hunches now, but like, have you, have you seen anything where you're like, okay, it's on a cold streak. It's going to take 20 times or whatever. No, I, I don't, I, I'm a pure math guy. So I, I really just count it as, you know, just another role. Every race is independent of each other, but I'm not going to lie either. I really like that. My horse has lost four or five in a row. Right. It just feels like I know that next role is completely independent of the four losses I just had. I know that mathematically it makes no, there's no connection or anything, but I just love the feeling of knowing, oh, he just lost two or three. He might, he's, he's got a good shot here, right? I mean, it's, it's totally not real. It, it, you're right. It, it's not, um, but everything regresses to the mean. So. Oh yeah, totally. It's so over time. It'll get there, right? Yep. Yep. Definitely. Um, before you mentioned you've got a, a sleep stable, is that the plan for your glue? Cause you know, I, I guess I'm unique in that I've got a lot of glue horses in my stable. Um, what, what do you do with those, those glue horses? Are you out there trying to sell them for, you know, 0. 0.001 or do you just put them aside and, and hope that one day you'll, you'll I, come I just back throw them out? into a glue stable and, and, and I, I am of the impression I've been here long enough that I've seen horses born, die, born, die, born, die five times because of changes in the algorithm, changes in the race formats. Change, I mean, there's always something. 
like even when this new racing algorithm came out, I brought probably 20 horses out of retirement that I haven't raced in a year. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I think one one of the most fun things I've enjoyed over the last month is going back through all the old glue and chucking them in races. And I've seen things that flame that never got flames ever. Um, I've seen one of my horses run in a completely different funnel, um, run really well. And I just realized, I think I might've been running this in the wrong funnel for, for its entire life. So that's been really exciting. So that's a really good point. Well, well, you know, there's an extra little thing to that too, is like a lot of people right now are saying, oh, this horse sucks. It, it's, it, it'll never be able to compete with the best horses in the game. And, and that statement alone is kind of misleading, right? I mean, that's not good information because the best horses in this game, we already know from what Zed is saying, they're going to be aging, right? Yes. So if a horse is kind of good or kind of okay now, I mean, there's a possibility that that horse, I mean, I don't think that horse will ever be a 75 ETH earner and racing for $100,000 on ESPN. But I'm saying like, if a horse is, I mean, glue is glue. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying like a lot of people are considering, oh, I bred this horse and it's not great. It's not great now. And I've seen this, this, I've seen, I've been in Zed long enough. I mean, stuff just changes. Everything changes. Um, you know, people get all upset. Oh, they ruined the breeding algorithm for Genesis Nakamoto's. And, and, and yeah, they did. I mean, technically right now, this moment, it's really hard to get a high dollar stud fee. But this isn't the first time it's been that way either. I mean, yeah, I think all this stuff really just goes point. up and down and changes all the time. It's a video game. They could literally change the algorithm tomorrow. They could sell the game to someone else and completely change everything about it in a week. This is a very good point. One of the things with the NACA gen breeding debate that's going on at the moment that I, I haven't heard talked about, but I think as we get more down the path of XP and levelling up um, and levelling up horses and it becomes apparent the foals you produce out of these Z1s will take less time, less XP to grind up. I think that's going to add its own value in itself. Like, sure, you can you can breed um, a butte gen, but then the XP required to to level that up to the same level as your knack that you bred, I think that will create value in these stud fees again. Will we get back to two, three ETH stud fees? Maybe, maybe not. Um, that's so far out of my... Um, my price range, it probably is irrelevant for me anyway. But 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 you, you see what I'm saying though, right? Like tomorrow Atari could come by this game and say, okay, Nakamoto Genesis are going to run in our Atari Elite series, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then they're worth fucking 100 ETH each. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's just crazy to ever make any decision in... In anything really, but especially in, in a, something like this, where they can flip a switch instantly with no regulation, no choice, they can do whatever they want. It's completely crazy to think that whatever we're dealing right this moment is is forever. And with Zed, it seems that you know, as you you pointed out, change is the only constant, right? Yeah, ex- absolutely. So it's it's it's. I understand. I get mad to you. It, it's hard to not be frustrated by the things that happen, you know, or the changes they make that hurt us or affect us directly, or we think are bad for the game. 
I, I get that. And I get upset too. And I, and I mean, if you follow anything I say on Twitter, I'm very vocal about my opinions and how upset I get. I'm just saying, I wouldn't go sell my whole stable because Zed made a change this week. Yeah, on that on Twitter, and it's just, it's a very noisy environment. But every time I see a rage quit on Twitter with a, a sale link, my first thought is this person's just rebranding their stable and they're changing and they're trying to get some liquidity. Um, that's typically where I say I don't see too many people leave for good. Yeah, I, I think that happens a lot too. But, but I think at the same time, I think people do just say, ah, you know, this ain't for me. What they're doing, the direction they're going or what they're doing isn't for me. And they actually quit. And it's sad because I just don't think, I mean, like, like oh, right now is a perfect example, right? Like if you look at the way the game is right now, it's kind of bad for the top end people, right? Or the, that's not, not the top, top end, but let's say the kind of upper echelon people. It's kind of sucks right now. They're not really able to compete in class one against some of the really mean, mean, tough stables. And they really can't sell their breed fees for other people that want to compete up there. So they're kind of in like a really bad spot, the kind of upper, upper, but not the top, top. And they pushed out, they, they didn't personally push out, but people that were kind of sucked at it and, and didn't really have a bunch of horses and couldn't spend a bunch of money were kind of stuck before the new uh, breeding and racing algo. Those people quit and yeah. sold those horses. Right now, today, if those people had those same horses, they would be happy as could be. Yeah, it's an interesting conundrum for the team at Zed, right? It's how do you make a game? Like, ultimately, they're trying to make it attractive for the most amount of people. Um, and that's, that's how the game moves forward and how we get to, as you say, you know, races on ESPN, that, that, that would be amazing to see. Um, $100,000 pots. One day, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, as we sort of had a bit of time to get into this new meta um, and the Racing 2.0, I've said this before, I think we need a new name, but that's just me. Um, overall, like what what are your thoughts on, on the racing changes? And we'll, we'll certainly touch on breeding in a second, but on the racing aspect, what do, you, what do you think the changes mean? Has it been a good thing for Zed? Well, I, I think that... I think that if you went, in, you, you went into a bucket and you grabbed 10 Zed players and all the players were in that bucket and you just grabbed 10, eight of them would tell you that they're having a better, a, a better experience racing, right? Two of them would tell you that it's the worst game they've ever played. It's horrible. They don't want anything to do with it anymore. They'd rather die. But first of all, that's better, right? Like, like the numbers are better there. Instead of two people happy and eight people mad. Now we have eight people happy and two people mad. But maybe there's a problem there with the economics, right? Like maybe the lower end eight people don't even add up to the, the, the turnover and the amount of cash that those two people are producing. So maybe it's not net positive, right? Like it could be, like we don't know, right? Like we really don't know. But, but the point of the thing is Zed made this really good product for probably class three to class six. It's a really good product. I would say class two high dollar and class one is a nightmare. They have a long way to go and a ton of work to make high dollar class, not, not even high dollar class two. Let's just call it top of level, right? Like every level at the top, I feel like is gonna be really logged, is gonna be really 
you know, road jammed. There's not going to, it's not going to be room for anyone. There's not going to be any way to be positive EV in those. There's going to be 500 horses with 20 variants and 500 scores. And they're all going to be fighting for 10 races in class two, 1600 meters. And with a 10% rake, no one's going to make any money. Right? Like there's just going to be like, because that's where they end, right? They all run into that 500 wall and they're stuck there. And then all the class one horses. I mean, Zed just threw, you know, probably what, I think it was, it wasn't 10% of the population. It was probably more like 5% of the population, but they took like 10,000 horses and threw those into class one that were, most of those horses were profitable where they were. Yeah, they were downclassing and there was a lot of other stuff going on, but those horses were profitable. And now you have 10,000 owners or probably 5,000, say they own two each. You got 1,000, 5,000, a lot of owners pissed off and upset that their horses aren't profitable anymore. And they're also not taking their profits and reinvesting and paying stud fees. And there's so many little downsides to that, that Zed needed to do a way better job on class one before they took 10,000 horses and threw them over there, in my opinion. So that's sort of, you know, the, the response that Zed will give is that, you know, you can race your horse up through the class, which kind of leads me to another question around, you know, what is the time frame? do you think that's expected? Like I've got uh, four C1 horses. Um, one was an upgraded elite that started at, I think, 506. Um, one, one got classified at 501, um, which is kind of pretty funny. Um, but how long do you think people should invest in, in grinding out these horses to get them, or is there a spot to get them anywhere competitive in C1 at that point? Or is that a C1 wall for, for, for these horses? I don't think there's any room. I, I think it's the same problem I was talking about with all the horses stuck in the top of class two, right? There, there's no room. If, if, if you have a, if you have a decent horse and you get to say you have a decent horse that's at a 506 and say it's got decent variants and and say you run it all the way up to 700 there's what 5000 other horses that are doing that exact same thing it's like there's just no space for that horse to ever find a, a profit hole i just don't and and i think that you can't really rely on okay well they're going to age right they're going to age and they're going to disappear. But aren't people breeding 506 horses all day long, every day? Yeah, so there's a lot of people breeding into that low end of C1 for sure. So, so you're like grinding up, right? Like you're at 506 today. And let's say you're at 509 a week from now or two weeks. There's probably 100 horses born that fall right above at 510. So what do you think then is is the solution to that? Is it race volume? Is it sort of some, like, how do you dilute the fields? Because it seems like the answer to that is diluting the fields so that you've got more opportunities to choose. I think, well, the, the number one answer has always been and always has worked is user count, right? You add a million users and you never even see the same horse twice and it, everything's diluted. No one has any issues. No one's stuck racing against anybody they don't like. There's a thousand races going off every day. There's tons of revenue. I mean, users solves all problems. 
But I think in an artificial sense of way of solving it is with aging. Aging works. It's going to slow horses down. It's going to stop them from entering races that they shouldn't enter, that they'll enter now just because, because they don't want to waste their age. You know, racing decay is going to work. You know, that's going to make horses afraid to just enter every $2 race because they don't want to use their races up for their race decay in, in races that aren't going to give them a lot of return or aren't going to be fun. So I think those two things have a big impact, but I think that eventually you're going to see a, a massive increase in fatigue. I, I think that at some point Zed's going to say, okay, look, horses can't race 20 times a day. Horses can only race five. Yeah, if you get your, your tournament running right, you can run 15 races to get, to get yourself into a tourney. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like I, can, I can run now and then get up tomorrow morning, um, my time. And um, and sort of have a, a fresh horse to have another crack at it if I need. Um, with those changes, though, Dan, if we could sort of go back to, I guess, your experience as a player, um, has that changed your racing strategy at all? Like inside your stable? I, I don't. I don't pay attention to levels. If my yep. horses can't win and aren't productive now, I have no interest in 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 trying to make them, I don't feel like you can make them productive. I feel like if a horse is at like, say a horse is at 450 and it caps at 500. I don't think that move, I, I don't know this is a fact, so I probably shouldn't say it cause we haven't seen it yet. So there's been some data and obviously everyone's aware of um, the data BG put out. And I saw you put out some, some other data around, I guess, speed increase, but do you think, like how long does it take before we get a data set that will actually give us some good, um, reliable information on on level increase? I think, and I think we would want to see, we would want to probably see maybe 1,000 horses that have moved up 50 levels. Okay. I think if we had 1,000, maybe 5,000 horses that moved up 50 levels, then we could really get a good idea. So that's probably still, oh, we're still several months away from that, right? before we actually get that view on it. Uh-huh. But once we have it, we have it, right? Then, then it's... Yeah, and then, then the algorithm changes again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because once yeah. we have it, we have it. Then we're going to know. Because yeah. once we know that 99% of these... I mean, and I'm not saying it's true, but just as a guess, right? Or whatever. Just like a random number. Once we know 80% of horses, 50 levels doesn't do anything. I mean, that's going to just completely change how we do discovery, right? Yeah, definitely. And then that sort of feeds into breeding as well. Um, right now, when you look at, I guess, how you're trying to get your edge in the game, um, I know you sort of touched on double up horses before, but are you? do you think like the future of the game is DP and variance or is it um, BA? I know Facundo said something about high BA horses leveled up will have really impressive, amazing BA that would make them incredibly worthwhile he kind of hinted at um what's your view on that i think it's more of i think that they're going to continue to add formats and they're going to continue to add different types of racing so you're going to have pretty much a, a spot for what you know it's not like you have to be a variance horse or you have to be a full stability horse it sounds like zed's going to be really creative and i think it's going to be more along the lines of us identifying horses that are worth the discovery process early and at the same time 
understanding by looking at their race history, by looking at their speed to be able to determine which of those formats, you know, double up, winner take all, top two, top three, quads, uh, and whatever else they come up with where our horse can be productive. And then, you know, and of course, then the analysis of fields as well. Yeah, I've heard a lot of, um, over the last sort of 18 months I've been in the game, everyone talks about analysing fields. And I was wondering if you could take a moment, like when you talk about that, what is the process you go through to analyse a field? Like what what does that actually mean? Like what are you looking for? And is it in the moment or is it sort of as part of the the historical view you take on a horse when you're, when you're investigating? I think that you have to, when you're talking about analyzing race fields or you're talking about analyzing a horse? Um, race fields. So, so when I look at race fields, the first thing is, is that I'm really familiar with the, uh, the, one of the unfortunate circumstances is when you race in $25, $10, whatever races, you end up racing a lot of the same horses over and over and over again. So you pretty much know a lot of the horses already. You've already looked them up. You've already been through them. You've already seen what they're about. So it's there's not a lot of real analysis that goes on at that point. But the thing for me that I look at is I want to see if my horse has enough speed, right? Like if my horse has a good run, can it actually win here? Right? Like if, I, if my horse doesn't necessarily have to be the fastest horse in a race, but it needs to definitely be the top three in max speed because if my horse catches a good run, it's going to podium more than likely, or maybe if another one of the good horses in it, in the field, maybe it might be a little bit faster, has a down run, then I could probably win. And, you know, even a great, great even a great variance horse is only going to hit, you know, one out of four, one out of five times, even the best of them. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. I was talking to a friend of mine, I was showing Zed um, last year too, and he was kind of interested and I I said to him, well, you've got to remember that even a good horse loses eight out of 10 times, the best, the best horses. Yeah, exactly. Right. So if you've, if you've got a 20% win rate horse, you've got a great horse. Um, but that's something that's very hard to do, I think, is to get the emotion out of that because you want to see a win every time, but you kind of, you, you need to know that eight out of 10 times, it's not going to win. Um, right. It's a very interesting part of the game. And, you know, the other thing with that, too, is that the other thing with that, too, is that a a lot of people, I mean, you know, if you play video games and you're you're good at video games, you win a lot, right? Yep. So losing one out of, you know, winning one out of five rounds in in other games is not too exciting. You wouldn't call yourself a decent player. Yeah, but if you could reliably win one out of five races... Um, you would you would be happy with that result, I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, apart from the, I guess the racing um, element, sort of stop and maybe talk about the breeding um, side of the game for the second. So much fun. It it is the the joy of breeding and the thrill of um, entering into that that griffin i think one of my um one of my highlights dan and i don't you know don't hate me too much for saying this but one of my highlights was pipping you at the post in a thousand meter griffy a couple of months ago (laughs) oh that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) um that horse for me went on to be an absolute nag so anyway um that's neither here nor there but when you sort of sit and look at breeding a horse 
how specific do you get for the outcome you're looking for? Like, are you shooting for a specific distance funnel? Um, and then with the parent views, are you saying, okay, I want to go, I'm matching on distance preference, I'm matching on variance. Like, how do you go through that process? Well, I think the thing is, is that one of the problems that we we do as players, as breeders, is we give horses, I'm going to say what a lot of people do, and I do it too, don't get me wrong, but one of the big mistakes that people do is they they kind of say, oh, maybe it'll be, but it never is. It's like, okay, I'm going to take this horse that has a lot of a medium variance, this one with medium variance, and maybe they'll make me a good one. But they won't. They, won't. they just won't. Sad and, and disappointing as that is, they just won't. So you just got to gotta just totally just go by what's in front of you. There, there's not a lot of hope doesn't work in, in said breeding. No, that's true. The lotto days are well and truly over. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's just like, you know, you, you, and then a lot of people think that a horse has good variants, but sometimes it's a matter of like, there's a, there's good variants and then there's variants that can win. And then you're usually looking at some sort of reduction. If your parents are, I'm going to say, use a scale of one to 10. You say the parent is a seven, the other parent's a seven. You would think, okay, I'm going to get a seven. More than likely, you're going to get about a five and a half or a six, right? So, so yep. it's not like it's not like you're, you know. So, if you breed horses that are barely winning themselves together, you can't really expect the baby to come out and be some kind of, you know, winner take all killer. So, with the, I guess, the new structure of the gra- of the game, then, like, obviously, BA to BA. Um, is a strategy, I think, for for double ups and then matching a, a distance preference on top of that. But do you think there's a lot of value in high variance and high variance? It seems to me that the distance preference is, um, you know, it's a given. You have to match a distance preference with a horse. Which way on that scale do you think you should look at? I mean, I, I've tried a couple of high BA, high variance experiments um, uh, months ago now that we're all just glue. Like I'll never go down that path again. The, the thing, the thing for me is I always feel like there's a, there, there's a real simple way to look at it. Right. Like, I mean, I think it's good to keep DP the same, right. You don't want to remove distance preference. I mean, unless you're doing this massive thing where you're going to be, you know, breeding this thing with super levels and it's going to be so tough and so good. You really don't want to remove distance preference. And by remove, I mean like taking a 10 and a 24 and putting them together and making a 16, right? You don't really want to take the distance preference out. But at the same time, variance is everything. Like the most valuable horses in this game, it's not even close. If you went and looked at the, the top 25 most valuable horses or won the most money or most profitable, they're almost all variance horses and extreme super variance horses. So variance is where the value is. Variance is the gold, right? At least in the current game. Now there's a lot of horses now with the double ups that, you know, they're starting to show their worth. You're starting to see horses like Ratchet. Ratchet's what on like a 30, 30 race in a row double up in class one paids. I mean, that's just printing Ethereum yeah, that's all day funny. long. Yeah. I found a, um, a, a, a little diamond in the rough in my stable that I've just dusted off um, yesterday, actually. 
and it's I think it's ran about ninety percent in double ups in C three. I've put it in fifteen races in the last thirty six hours. Yeah, see, that's that that's that's so that has value, right? But in order to breed that, first of all, let me tell you this: for a double up horse, let's just talk double up horses. If your parents have variants, don't breed it. You're not going to get a double up horse. Period. Because it doesn't take too much variance to take a horse out of the mix. It just doesn't. If a horse has even just a hair too much variance, it just can't double up. It's just going to run too much. That It's going to get too wide. And by wide, I mean like instead of running fourth to seventh, it's going to run like second to ninth. And you're going to have a lot of seven, eight, nine finishes. And, you know, you got to be close to what, 65% to even think of being profitable in double ups, really. I mean, even worth make it worth your time. Yeah, I was going to say, with, with the rake now, I did some numbers the other day, it's about 65%. Yeah, yeah so, so you want to be, you got to hit two out of three. And if you're running seven, eight, nine, 30, 40% of the time, kind of hard to get there. So you, variance has to be really low. I mean, like a lot of people are like, oh, this horse doesn't have that much variance. And I look at it and I'm like, that thing has a ton of variance. No, it's not going to go out there and beat diamonds. It's not going to go out there and beat, you know, these great variance horses in the game but it has a ton of variance and it's going to pass down a decent amount of variance. And you're not going to be happy with the result because it's the results going to have a, too much variance to double up and not enough variance to win or take all or top two. Getting back to, I guess, like when you, when you breed, do you like how specific to those attributes do you go? Very specific. I breed for class. Well, you know, in breeding 3.0, I breed for class. I specifically have an idea what I have an, an analysis tool that analyzes what level we think the, the breed will be. It considers the distance preference. It considers it's a legendary exclusive, whatever it is. It considers, you know, it considers the level, starting level of the parents. It can, you know, takes into consideration the distance preference and the amount of variance that the parents have and what the baby will likely have. And then it comes up with an analysis of, you know, it gives you a, an estimated projected level of what the level will likely be close to. So I focus on that so I can breed where I'm missing spots. And I always breed to fill holes. Like if I have a, if say I'm making a good variance worse, I don't want another 16. I want something that can run 12 to 14 maybe because I don't have anything from 12 to 14. Or I want something that can run 20 because I'm missing something at 20. I always try to like cover as much of the field as I possibly can. I don't want horses that have to sit on top of each other. Like right now in class two, I have like a billion class two super variance horses and they just can't even race because there's just no room for them and there's just not enough races and they're all competitive. And I just randomly pick one of each, you know, just, I mean, there's no order to it because there is none. If one of them ran 14, I would really be able to increase my profits big time. Yeah, nice. And for those of us that don't have the blood tool, um, I'll probably talk a little bit more about that in a second, actually. Um, for those of us that don't have the blood tool, uh, what what is the best strategy, do you think, for, for finding out those details about a horse? Like I use Zedge. Um, it's nice and simple. Gives me pretty good results, I think. But... Um, have you? I think uh, it, let's just take out all tools, right? Let's just say you have you only have access to Haku or or KYH or Z Lead. Yeah, right? have you That's heard of Z Lead? <laughs> <laughs> have you heard of Z Lead? No. If you take out, if you just took Z Lead, Haku, um, KYH, know your horses, 
and you just use those, what I would do is I would, first of all, I would look for a wide gap, right? Like the width of their gap would tell you a lot. Like if you went and pulled up diamonds right now and you looked at 1600, probably has runs that go as fast as 87 seconds. And it's probably got runs that go as slow as 98 seconds, right? So that would just tell you right there that there's a huge gap in there. Well, if there's a huge gap in there, that implies that there's a lot of variance. So you would want to get an idea of, I would go, if I, if I was completely had no tools, no access, I would go straight to Z lead. I would pull up what I know is the most variant horses in the game. You can literally go to Discord and type in, go to general channel of Discord and say, hey guys, what are like three of the most variant horses in the game? And as soon as you type that in, people are going to reply back to you immediately. They're going to tell you diamonds, think like a freak and whatever else, right? So they give you those three names. You go straight to Z lead, pull those horses up, look and see how wide, wide their finish times are. And I'm talking about raw times, not normalized, no fancy work done with them, no tricks. Just take the width of their, of their time and see how wide it is and then compare that to your horses, right? Like, is your horse nearly as wide, half as wide, barely as wide, right? And then look at it. And then I would take that, that information, that would give me an idea of how much variance I was dealing with. If I had a horse that had a lot of variance or a little bit or a lot, you could even make some kind of simple scale with that, with those numbers if you wanted, you know? And then from there, then I would do the exact same process to get an idea of distance preference, to get an understanding of like, okay, hey guys, what are some of the most distance preference horses in the game? And people would tell you, okay, it's Wavelength, it's Ready, Set, Boom, it's Billions. Those horses have super variance. And then you go look, are, are they have super distance preference. And then you go look and you start, you get an idea. You look at their finished distribution chart, and you, you see, well, okay, I can see it here. They're still, like my speed shoe is the best at this, really. Honestly, I would use only my speed shoe, but I'm talking for people that just don't want to use just my stuff exclusively. You would look at the finished distribution of a thousand meters for billions, and then you would see how you move to 1200, how he wins less and starts to come second and third more. And then as you go to 1400, he really starts to lose, win way less, starts finishing third, fourth, and fifth. And then as you go to 1600, He's like damn near running A-shape fourth to sixth. So you can really get an idea and a feel for how much distance preference he has and how extreme it is. And then if you took a horse that doesn't have that extreme distance preference, you would see the finish distribution go from kind of average to, oh, he's really starting to win at 14. Oh, he's super strong at 1,200, right? He really wins there. Oh, he starts sliding back off at 1,000. That would imply to you that this horse has a little less sprint distance preference than the true sprint di distance preference horses. And you'd be able to see that he's not as, doesn't have as much distance preference as others. And so with doing that, if I'm trying to match, a, for example, a stud to one of my mares, I would kind of look for the same attributes in my mare to try and, you know, to pass that down as well. I, I think that what you want to do is you don't want to remove anything, right? Like, let's say your horse, I mean, let's just use a scale of one to 10. Let's say your horse, one is no distance preference at 1,000 meters and 10 is a ton at 1,000 meters. If your horse has a 10 at distance preference at 1,000 meters, you don't want to remove that. So you're going to make sure that whatever you breed with is probably going to have at least close to a 10. So you're not really taking out that distance preference. And then you want to make sure whatever that stud is doing, that stud is giving you something, right? It's giving you more level or BA. 
it's giving you more base ability. It's it's got a, a lower Z number. It's gonna it's got a higher starting level than your horse. So you're adding some level to it to, to make your baby better than your horse. And then maybe you, oh okay well maybe this one's got a little bit more variance that might help me. Or maybe it's got zero variance that could really help me. Maybe it can bring my dis my stability way up. And if my stability is way up and I have a bunch of distance preference, maybe this thing will be killer at at doing double ups. I hope what I'm saying makes sense, does it? Yeah, it, it does make it makes sense to me and hopefully to the people listening. Um, there's some some good knowledge in here for people. Um, just to go further on that, though, I, you hear a lot of talk about grandparent roles and looking at the ancestry because, you know, a lot of us aren't breeding with, with Genesis horses. Um, I don't have any Genesis mares, for example. Um, what are the precedents and like how many times do you think you see grandparent pulls versus just attributes coming from the parents? I, I think BG said that he was seeing it about 20% of the time, 20, 25% of the time. And I would probably go with that. I, I would, I haven't really looked at the numbers that close. Um, because what, what, what I do is I have a different approach with grandparent, with ancestry. If, if I'm going to breed two exclusives together, I don't really worry about ancestry. And that's because I won't breed anything that's got holes in its ancestry. So if I have an exclusive stud and mom is a genesis and she's great, she's strong, has good distance preference, good variance, good base ability, whatever. And dad is a legendary and dad has all the good attributes. His parents need to have all the good attributes. Or I won't even use him. There's just too much risk. There's, in, especially if it's a, a more expensive. I might try it if it was a minimum, at minimum stud fee or something. But generally, if that whole family train isn't like completely beautiful all the way up, I, I won't even touch it. And you could see the massive difference. If you look at some of the top bred horses that are exclusive elites, uh, even, well, you know, I mean, it's getting a little weird with the way they changed breeding 3.0, but I mean, when you looked at the crosses and the pacers and the elites and the exclusives that were really good, 99% of those all come from a beautiful family line that's just nothing but super variance horses, parents, grandparents, grandmas, grandma, grandmas, grandmas, grandma, all super variant horses all the way down. And you'll see that you'll almost guarantee yourself to see a very good variance in your baby. So on the spaces you did with Facundo um, a week or so ago, I think it was, um, which was excellent, by the way. Um, Thank you. He did mention that the traits passing down, the DP and the variance, are pretty much the same as they were in 2.0. So it seems to me you just made an argument for bloodlines in 3.0. There was absolutely an argument for bloodline in 3.0. The only problem is the, the, the horses that have those no holes in their ancestry, and I call it no holes, meaning they don't have any like flaws, right? All the family is good racehorses. The whole family. There's no one in the family tree that's not a great racehorse. Those were really valuable, and they're not free yet. People still think they have value, and they still do have value, so it's they're kind of like a little bit, still a little bit hard to get a hold of and reach. And people are a little bit, hold them a little better. They keep that more in-house now. And 
and it, it's it's tougher to get a hold of. That is something I've noticed, um, but that was well. That's been for for months for me trying to find uh, a good stud um, around the place. But um, it's all part of the game we play, I guess. You know, and that's one thing that I'll add to someone, people too. If you play this game by yourself and don't talk to somebody and aren't in discords and aren't on social groups and Facebook groups, you're doing yourself a disservice because I would bet you 30, 40% of the breeds that I've done and the good ones that I've done have all come from friends, getting a stud from a friend, uh, networking, making friends with people, knowing the right people. Um, All that stuff comes from there and it's an essential part of the game. Racing is one thing. Breeding is one thing. Networking and sales are absolutely essential parts of this game. I don't do sales. I really suck at it. Uh, I'm lucky that I have a bunch of Twitter followers. It makes my, my job at sales a little easier. I just post up and with 6,000 people looking, someone might take my stuff off and makes me look better at it than I am. I'm not very good at the sales part, but the, but the networking, great at, you know, those things are important. If you can, you really got to try to connect with people, get in a group. Uh, there's a lot of small discords. It's, it's not, there's the general discord that Zed has is not the only discord group there is. There's tons more. Uh, go to the general discord and ask people, go on Twitter and ask people, anybody got a really cool Twitter, you know, or discord group I can join for, you know, buterans or, cause there's groups like that. If you own a lot of elites or something, there's groups out there that are just guys that breed elites and they focus on elites and there's a lot of knowledge they have. And plus they know they share. Once you're friends with somebody and your friend asks you, you share. We all do, right? If your friend comes over to borrow your vacuum cleaner, you, you sure. Yeah, man, no problem. Cause they're your friend. If some stranger comes and asks you, you tell them to go fly a kite. As long as they pay the stud fee on my vacuum cleaner, Dan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um it's it's all pretty good mate there's so much for you to, to talk about with you um we've, we're nearly at time already which has absolutely just blown me away how quick this has gone um i'd love to do this again with you in sort of six or 12 months time or, or sooner um one last question though just to to round it up one of the things i've been talking to everyone on the show about is you know onboarding and and how do we get more people in the game um, what have you? What are your views on what Zed should do to onboard? And do you think we're ready for a big marketing push right now? I think we're close, and I I think it would be okay to open the doors. Like I think the restaurant could serve meals right now, right? Like it, it's sustainable. Like if you thought of Zed as a restaurant, we have the tables, we have the tablecloths, we got plates, we got bowls, we got servers. We, we can put out some food. I don't think we're ready to be called the five-star restaurant that can cater to everyone and is the best and finest thing in town yet. But I think we could open the doors. But in the onboarding, there's no fun here. You know, one of my biggest complaints in all the time is there's just this lack of fun. It feels very repetitive. It feels very much like a job. You got to come to work at, at 7 p.m., Start your tournament runs, run your five races every day. You got to check your leaderboards and see how you did. You got to, I mean, it's like this, it's totally like a job. Did you ever go into a casino in Las Vegas or somewhere else and it felt like a job? 
Did you ever think, man, this is just like my job. You never felt that way. I bet you everyone that's ever played Zed felt like it's a job, and it shouldn't. There needs to be excitement. There needs to be uh, progressive bonuses. They need to take a portion of this rake that they're collecting and throw it into a, a, a pot that goes into one random race every day that anybody could win. It could be a free race. It could be a $100 race, entry fee race. It could be any race where you could win $5,000. There needs to just be this massive amount of fun, way less organization. The organization needs to be done behind the fence, you know, behind the, they need to do that in the kitchen, but in the service room, it's all fun, laughs, good food, drinks, and have a great time. And Zed just really misses the ball on that. I mean, I've just never walked into a casino and said, damn, this feels like the last time I was here. Or, oh, this sucks. This reminds me of my job. Never. Zed reminds me of a job every day. That's a fair take. That's a fair take. Um, I love that idea about just a random juiced race. Yeah, just fun, right? Just like crazy stuff. Like they could even throw like a stupid Christmas gift in the middle of a race on the track. Right in the middle. Just drop it. Let it bounce around. And whatever spot it falls on, whoever runs over it, whatever horse it runs over it, gets freaking 500 bucks. Yeah, that's a good idea too. There's just so much fun. Like the Matrix track that you never know. Yeah. Gonna pop. Or the Zed token track. Like if you could just be dropping Zed tokens the entire time you're racing, and you're just collecting them. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. I mean, utility for the tokens always good, right? Yeah, absolutely. Anything. Um, all right, Dan. Um, as I say, I could talk to you for hours and hours about Zed, it seems. Um, I just want to take a moment again, just thank you for your time for coming on. Um, do you want to take a moment and tell people about your tools um, and, and where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can always find me on Twitter. Um, Twitter is one of the best places to find me. My Twitter handle is at spot on parts. So it's spot on parts. Most people in Zed kind of already have a feel for where I am. I'm in the general discord a lot. You can always find me under Dan Chan. So it's easy to get me there. And, you know, um, Z lead is one of my tools. It's free. Anybody can use it. It's got a bunch of great tools as far as speed, uh, speed shoe, times, uh, race history. Um, it's basically a combination of old stack knacks and know your horses crunched together into one site. And I use it every day. Yeah, I love it. I do love it. And I'm not, I'm not talking as the guy that made it. I'm talking about as like a player and a user. I love Z-Lead. Yeah, it, I don't know what I would do without them. Um, in fact, uh, yesterday, when when it was offline for a short period of time, it's offline again. <laughs> Zed's API is down again. Oh no! Right now, is it? Yep. Oh no! Like unbelievable. No wonder. No wonder I've got this feeling of anxiety and dread. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't believe they've done it two days in a row. I just got on talking to a, a person that said forty-five minutes ago, and they're like, "Yeah, we're working on it. We don't know what it is." Blah blah blah. <laughs> Yeah, well, computers are hard. Absolutely. Tons of fun. All right, Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Um, thank you so much, and I'll see you on the track. Yeah, absolutely. See you there. Have fun. Thanks again. Well, thanks for listening to the fourth episode of the Stable Hands podcast. Thanks again to Dan Shan. It was an excellent conversation. I hope everyone learned as much as I did. As always... See you on the track.